We're going to be turning this morning to Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah 49. Have you ever gone through a time when you wondered if God had forgotten about you? Or maybe he just wasn't paying attention. When does that happen? Well, it happens when we're going under uh, going through a trial or we're under some great pressure. Or at times when we're looking for something to change in our life. Have you ever thought, you know, this needs to change. Something needs to happen. And, and time goes on and nothing changes and nothing happens. Or you're seeking for an answer that doesn't come. And you do what believers are supposed to do during that time. You seek the Lord. You cry out to Him. You ask for His help and wisdom and strength and resources, what you need to meet that trial. And you ask God to meet that need. And yet time goes on and nothing seems to happen. Nothing changes. You're listening for God's response. You're, you're looking for God's response. And it's like crickets. You don't hear anything. And this can go on for weeks, months, even years. And we begin to look carefully at our lives for some sign that God is listening, that He at least hears us, that He at least knows our situation and wants to help us, and He's going to do something. And we ask, doesn't, doesn't He really care? Or is He not able to help? Or maybe He's just, just forgotten and we know that's not true. Our theological alarms go off inside. And we're like, no, I know that's not true. But, but practically, we think it at times. We cry out with David in Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? That's what David said. How long will you hide your face from me, David said. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long? Well, in Isaiah 49, this is the very question the nation of Israel is asking. If we begin to read in verse 13 of Isaiah chapter 49, the text begins with a call to praise the Lord for his comfort and compassion. He says, sing for joy, O heavens and earth. Uh, O heavens and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Isaiah is actually prophesying about the Jews returning from captivity in Babylon. Now, to get the right context, you have to realize this is like about 100 years before the captivity actually happens. So Isaiah prophesies the destruction and the return, both both the, the judgment of God and the blessing of God on his people in Isaiah. You have to keep that in straight. But when Isaiah writes this, Babylon has not conquered the city yet. In fact, the Jewish captivity is a long way off. But through the prophet Isaiah, God has promised his people this terrible judgment upon their sins and his delivery from those sins. And that's why he says that the Lord will have compassion on his afflicted. You see that. But it is at this point that God's people stumble. Because in verse 14, Zion responds. Now, Zion is a reference to Mount Zion. That's where the temple stands. And when Isaiah refers to Zion, he's referring to God's people who still cling to him, God's people who desire to worship him and to follow him. Isaiah writes that Zion responds 
The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. My Lord has forgotten me. This is prophetically a reference of the people who would go into exile. It may also be a reference to the people in Isaiah's day who desired to follow the Lord, but the nation as a whole was drifting further and further from God, and it was noticeable all around them. There are a lot of parallels between Isaiah's culture and our culture today. A lot of things that are different about our culture, but it's the same sin. It's just expressed differently. And the people felt that drift, that moral drift in their culture. And they cried out, how long? But their conclusion in the face of a long-term trial where it seemed like no answer was coming was the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. God just left. He's not around anymore. We're on our own, they thought. Now, God desires to respond to his people at this point. I want you to just think about that. That's significant. God does not want us to feel like he has forgotten us. In fact, he wants to assure us of his love, and he wanted to assure his people of his love. So God chooses a way to illustrate just how much he cares for them. And it needs to be a comparison that will strongly communicate to his people his affection for them. And on this occasion, God chooses to compare his love to that of a mother's love for her children. God says to them, can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her woman? Can you, can you imagine that, God says? Can, can a woman forget her nursing child? The nursing child is the mother's ula. That's the, the Hebrew word for it. I love that little word. The, the ula is, is the newborn infant who is completely dependent upon the mother for nourishment and care. And the mother constantly and diligently and sacrificially attends to that little child. I remember what it is like having your first child. It's the experience of suddenly having this tiny life in your hand whose very survival now depends upon you. And, and you grow up really fast when that happens. You already grew up when you got married in ways you never knew possible, most of us. Um, but when that, when that little child comes along, it's like, it's like the responsibility level jumps up fourfold. And you do everything in your power to protect and care for that little infant. But I think as much as any father may be invested in this process of loving and protecting that little baby, the mother of that child is invested fourfold. Everything she does is for that child. She constantly and compassionately endeavors to meet that little child's every need. I speak for everyone when I say how much we appreciate our moms at Gateway, and we don't take them for granted. You are godly examples of Christ-like love. And I hope you know how much that means to a body of Christ, to have godly mothers as examples. And I want to encourage you in that way. I, 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 I don't think of a mother in our church that is not an example of, of Christ-like love and compassion in some way, and I appreciate you so much. So the rhetorical answer to this question, can a woman forget her ula, is lived out among us. Can a woman forget her ula, her, her precious nursing infant? The, the, the answer 
that is expected in the text is a resounding no. I mean, how, how could she? That's impossible. And yet, God is not finished. He reminds his people of the fact that it is actually possible for the unthinkable to happen. That a mother forget her child, fail to show compassion to her child, abuse her child. He tells them, even these may forget. It's unnatural. It's not the way God created the world. It's not what we think of when we think of mothers. But on rare occasions, a mother may forget her child. She may show, uh, fail to show com- natural compassion that God has created mothers to have. And sadly, our culture knows of mothers like this. And it's a growing and increasing sign that we are far away from God in our culture. Mothers who abort their children. Mothers who neglect their children. Mothers who abuse their children. Mothers who fail to protect their children, for instance, when their boyfriends abuse them. That is a growing problem in the U.S., A mother who looks the other way when someone else is hurting her child. It's horrifying. In fact, it's horrifying to see so many news stories, both locally and nationally, and you hear them, of of mothers neglecting or harming or even plotting to kill their children. But then we are facing something today that causes us to stand back in even greater disbelief. And I want to mention this. I'm I'm referring to parents who nurture the abominable notion that culture foists upon our children that they can and should choose a different gender than they were given by God. Gender transitioning children, there is such a thing, and it's more common than we know in our culture. The idea would never have occurred to almost any of these children to do this kind of thing if it were not for the influences, or I should say the influencers in our society who message this sin against God through books and movies and every form of social media and even public school curriculum. These influencers who are described in Romans 1 as given over in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. They prey on children to advance their own selfish political and moral agendas. And moms and dads in our day have been known to go along with this and allow their children to be subjected to mutilating gender reassignment surgeries and to be put on gender transitioning drugs such as puberty puberty blockers. And I read all this and I think, God, have mercy on their souls. I, I think that most are simply caught up in the prevailing mood of the culture because of their own spiritual deadness. So I think we, we can't just beat up on people like this. We need to pity them and figure out how can we help them? How can we message the truth? But this is nothing short of child abuse. And yet it's happening every day in America. And when you start to consider all of the unnatural sins against children in our culture, including against the unborn, and then you realize that if you speak out against these sins, even if you try to politely disagree with these sins, then you are the one who is mocked as uncaring and unloving and abusive. 
When you realize this, you can see through the eyes of faith that God's word is true. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. God has given them over to uncleanness. And their only hope is that God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil because they have been captured by him to do his will. That's how Paul describes it. And the media pundits and the self-important people in Hollywood and the woke professors of major universities urge us to celebrate the people who are pushing this anti-God agenda and to regard them as courageous heroes of our culture when we ought to be shrinking back in horror and begging God as Abram did for Sodom, that he might spare our nation a little longer for the righteous that are here. And I I know I'm preaching to the choir when I say all of this, but this is not a small matter. And I want to urge you, the more that our ungodly culture calls good evil and evil good, and the more you're looking at the world that is out of touch with what God says, and, and they're looking at you as if you're really Uh, not on board with anything going on, to stand with God and to rest upon and submit to his word and continue to shine as a light in the darkness today. God says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of their womb? And then he reminds us, even these may forget. Culture goes through times when, when there, there are terrible things that, that parents are doing to their children. It's not the way God designed it. It goes against what God said in his, in his word. It, it's a horrifying reality. And we need to pray that God will show mercy on our country and bring revival. But even a mother whose natural God-given human instinct is to lovingly, compassionately nurture her children, even some of them may forget to demonstrate love and compassion. Even these may forget, God says. Yet, God says. I will not forget you. That's his point. Literally, God says, I myself, it's emphatic in the Hebrew language, I myself will never forget you. Behold, he says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls, he's speaking of the city walls, but he's actually focused on the people in the city. Your walls the protection of your city, meaning the protection of your people. They're continually before me. In the world of the Old Testament, it was common for the name or the mark of the master to be written on the palm of the servant. But here, God writes his names, the names of his servants on his own palm in this metaphor. It's a metaphor showing ownership and care and love and intimacy. God cannot possibly forget us because we are near and dear to him. We are, as it were, engraved, which means indelibly imprinted on the palms of the hands of our creator. Now, I want to focus on this idea for a few moments that God does not forget his people, that he remembers us with compassion, Because when you hold the idea of remembering and forgetting up to the omniscience of God, in other words, you think about the fact that God's omniscient and you think of remembering and forgetting, you have to realize that it is impossible 
for God to forget anything because he knows all things at all times, past, present, and future. His knowledge is infinite. It is impossible to measure. Therefore, neither can God remember anything in the sense that he says, oh, that's right, now I remember. God never did that, ever. God can't call anything to mind that he's forgotten. That's not the remembering that we're talking about here. You and I forget and remember and we forget and remember and forget and then forget again. We do this all the time, but not God. He cannot bring something to mind in the sense that he forgot about it. So what does it mean when it says that God will not forget us? And what does it mean that God will always remember his children even as much as a mother remembers her little Ula? God's remembrance in the text is his care for us. It's his attention to us, his continual watchfulness and provision. That's the idea. We can see this in the history of God with his people. For example, in Genesis 8-1, God had destroyed the wickedness of the world with a flood, and Noah and his family and all the creatures in the ark needed to be brought to safety. Yes, they were saved by the ark, but, but there was still more to go. And after the end of Genesis 7, it says that the, the flood waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days. And verse 1 of chapter 8 says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And this doesn't mean, once again, that God said, Oh yeah, Noah, that's right. I forgot about him. I wonder how he's doing on the ark. That's never the way God thought about it. Noah might have been thinking that, but that's not how God was thinking. God remembered Noah in that he provided for him safe passage to dry land and an earth that was once again inhabitable. And there was a long wait. It was actually over a year, do you know that? Between the time it started to rain and when the water subsided, more than a year that Noah and his family were in the ark and all the animals were in the ark, more than a year before they could exit and begin life on earth again. I, I'm sure we romanticize the story quite a bit about all of them on the ark and they look, all the pictures, they, the animals even look happy. You know, the animals are even smiling, you know, in the pictures. But it must have been a pretty difficult thing day after day to be rocking in that ark all the time. And during that year, I wonder if Noah ever became impatient. And I wonder if Noah ever thought that God had actually forgotten about him, just like we might. And whether the waters were ever going to go down again. But God remembered Noah and his family because God had never stopped caring for them, providing for them, leading them to salvation, and really leading the human race to salvation. We can also see an example of God's remembrance in the lives of the patriarchs. If we go to Genesis chapter 30, we see Rachel, for instance, begging her husband, Jacob, give me children or I die. Because Rachel was not able to have children. And she was looking at Jacob's first wife, Leah, and all her children. And she was probably watching Jacob play with his boys and teach them to hunt and to fish and to farm to do things with them. And Rachel, year after year, had no children. She grew morose. 
And Jacob was apparently really getting fed up with her pleading as if it was somehow his fault. And so he says in verse 2 that his anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? And notice that God was asking Rachel to wait. It's the waiting that causes us to think that God's forgotten. We plead for some change, for some reproach or heartache to be taken away. And God is withholding the answer to our request. And Jacob might have been frustrated, but his theology was spot on. God was the only one who could answer Rachel's pleading because God is the only one ultimately who can care for our needs. But in verse 22 of the same chapter, the author says, Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, which is the Hebrew word that means to add, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. She was ready to go again. <laughs> she, she was like, that was such a great experience. I want to have, I want to have another one. She, she, was, you know, she had a long way to catch up with Leah, you know, so she wanted to, to get going right away. But what Rachel experienced was really the sovereign hand of God working in her life in his loving timing. Think about it. This son, as you know the story, this son Joseph was born into the family just at the right time, in just the right birth order for him to be taken to Egypt. And through a series of unfortunate events in which God was remembering him all the time, Joseph was exalted to the second highest ruler in Egypt and was able to save the entire Jewish family from famine and to preserve God's promise to keep that family alive and ultimately to bring a savior out of that family for the world. God knows exactly what he's doing. And when he manifests his compassionate remembrance, it is then that we realize he was guiding our lives all along. When God meets our needs, we often, I I hope we don't think this way, but I don't think many of us think, oh, God finally showed up and we accept his gracious gift, yet we sort of do it grudgingly because he didn't come in right away. No, we're just thankful that God reminded us he's with us the whole time. When we come to the end of Joseph's story and reach the book of Exodus, we see that God's people are wondering again whether he has forgotten them. Joseph has died. God's people are growing in number and the Egyptians are trying to destroy them by killing their male children and by making them slaves to build their cities. And once again, the promise of God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to send a deliverer through his people, Israel, is threatened. If the Israelites are destroyed, the promise of the Savior is destroyed. And Exodus 2.23 says that the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. And for many years, for several generations, they cried to God. And it probably seemed to many of them that God had sent them to Egypt and had rescued them in this way, but then had completely forgotten about them. And then the Bible says their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. You know, sometimes it's, it's just 
comforting us to us, even though that we, we might not see God's hand in what we're asking for just yet, but it's comforting to us that God knows. He's watching. He's involved. God did not remember his covenant in the sense that he had forgotten what he had promised and then suddenly remembered it. His remembrance was the reminder to his people that he did indeed love them and he desired to help them and to lead them to the promised land. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see this. The Lord remembering his people, arriving after much prayer and anguish, meeting their need at just the right time, reminding them that he had never forgotten. How could he forget? And we can't take all the time this morning to rehearse the, all the way through the Old Testament how we see this. But for example, in 1 Samuel 1, Hannah prays that the Lord would remember her and, and, and not forget her and give her a son. We read the same language in 1 Samuel 1. And, and later in the chapter, in 1 Samuel 1, it says that God remembered Hannah and gave her a son. And, and, and looking back over Israel's history and looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promises, the psalmist says in Psalm 98.3, he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And that's going to be true someday. The whole earth will see the salvation of our God, because God has never forgotten about his promise. But there's one ultimate, one ultimate way that God has showed that he has not forgotten his people, that he remembers us with great compassion, and that is when God himself took on human flesh and became one of us in order to meet our most desperate need. When he came to earth as a human being to die for us. In fact, when Mary praised God for sending his son, she's thinking as a Jewish woman, she's thinking with this remembrance, forgetting language in her head that we read of in the Old Testament. She's thanking the Lord for sending a son, his son, Jesus, through her womb, becoming the mother of the Savior. And she says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever, it had been millennia since that promise to Abraham. And yet here it finally comes. And in Luke 1, Zechariah rejoiced at the birth of the one who would announce the Savior. And he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to, his father, uh, to, to, to our father Abraham. God did not forget. He is a remembering God. And what is important to note is that whenever the Bible says God remembered, think about this, the remembering is really from our point of view. Based on when God knew it was time to act and manifest his remembrance. How long had the world waited for this Savior? How long had Israel clung to God's promise of a Messiah, a Christ, a deliverer? How long did God's people, even God's prophets, 
cry out to him before the Savior came. How long did men like the prophet Daniel in Daniel 9 and 10 pray and fast, seeking to know when God would remember them? How long did men like the prophet Habakkuk in Habakkuk 1-2 say to God, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, because he sees the violence in his drifting culture. And you will not save. And yet, Paul tells us in Romans 5, when we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And that is what we live on every single day of our lives. Those divine hands upon which are engraved the names of God's people through the person of God the Son became hands of flesh that were stretched out and nailed for our sins. And if God in his love and compassion, a compassion that is even greater than a mother's love, remembered us in spite of our sin, notice, while we were still sinners, he remembered us in spite of our sin and rescued us, don't you think that he is aware of any trouble that we're going through, any unknown, any angst, any worry, any fear, any pain, any sorrow. As Paul goes on to say in Romans 8.32, the one who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He has not forgotten you. He remembers you always, and he will always act in the right manner and in the right time. So what our response is, is to continue to seek him and to know him and to cry out to him because he hasn't forgotten. He cannot forget us. He is a God of compassionate remembrance. Way back in 1987, while I was living in Greenville and getting ready to start my third year at uh, Bob Jones here in Greenville, uh, I was shocked by the news of a terrible airline crash that happened in Michigan off, coming off the Detroit airport. A lot of you remember this, this incredible accident, this incredible crash. Uh, it, it claimed the lives of over 150 people, some of them on the ground when the, when the plane crashed on the highway. Northwest uh, Airlines 255. One of the top five worst crashes in U.S. history. The pilots were rushing the pre-flight checks and they failed to properly configure the takeoff. So by the time they should have been 600 feet in the air, they were only 40 feet in the air. So part of the left wing was severed by a lightning tower that caused the fuel stored in the wing to catch fire. And then the plane dipped violently to the right and the wing... Uh, the right wing destroyed the top of a rental car building. And after that, the plane went completely out of control before it crashed onto the highway, splitting into two and bursting into flames. It was, it was a horrifying scene of wreckage and bodies. And all 
were assumed dead. But then a rescue worker heard some whimpering and discovered a little four-year-old girl named Cecilia still alive. Third-degree burns on her arms, some other injuries, and the rest of her family had perished, but she was very much alive. And thousands of gifts and cards and donations from all over came flooding into the hospital where little Cecilia had been treated. But then she was taken to Alabama to live with her aunt and uncle, and they wanted to get her away from all of the media attention so she wouldn't grow up being reminded all the time that this had happened. So Cecilia's story was never told until many years later when she was a married adult. And what none of us knew when the crash happened that summer in 1987, we finally learned many years later. As far as she and everyone else can tell, as soon as Cecilia's mother knew that there was trouble, she managed to unbuckle her daughter from her seat and she grabbed onto her and held her like a human shield. Taking the brunt of the impact and the explosion and died saving her little girl. And that's a mother's instinct of love that impulsively drives her to reach out and protect and defend and comfort her child. I, I, I've seen it happen, a mother carrying a baby and she stumbles and, and, and she is going to shield that child and, and she'll get hurt. She doesn't care if she's going to protect that child. But as devoted as that mother's love is, it is only a portrait, a metaphor to help us understand the unfailing compassion of our God who never stops remembering us. And we can rest in that. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? God says, even these may forget but I will never forget you. Let's be encouraged by that today as God's people who know that we have a remembering God. Father, we thank you.